four, three, two, one. Awesome, guys. Welcome to another episode of It's Telehealth Podcast. I'm joined by an amazing individual today, Dr. Kim. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the yeah, show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here. So you and I met on LinkedIn, and I see the amazing work that you're doing in the community of the greater Chicago area. You know, why was it so important for you to start playing a role as a mental health provider in the city of Chicago? What kind of inspired you to go down that path? Well, honestly, I did not start in that area. I actually started in long-term care. Mm -hmm. um, quick story, I was in graduate school. I, I graduated, I did all my training, I graduated. I passed the licensing exam and I was very passionate about doing community mental health work, but I never got a call back from the places that I applied to. And, you know, student loans was about to come due, so I needed a job. And it just so happened that a long-term care um, company called me and asked me to come and do some work for them. And I said, okay, because I needed a job. Long story short, I fell in love with it. Um, did it for many years. In fact, I established a business in it, but we'll talk about that later. Um, two years ago, when COVID hit, we could no longer go into the long-term care uh, facilities, um, which caused lots of problems for our therapists, but mostly for the residents that we were seeing in those long-term care communities, um, and also their families and the staff and whatnot. So. I quickly put together an online therapy program. And I mean quickly. I had to do some really quick training. Um, and then I had to train my staff so that we all knew, you know, the rules and the regulations surrounding that. So we were doing this the right way. And we offered it to caregivers and staff persons and whatnot. It just so happened that people started to hear about it. We, we called it counseling for caregivers at that time. Like just regular people started to hear about it. And since the company was based on the south side of Chicago, actually in Inglewood, when people would do a Google search for online therapy, we would pop up. Mm. So we got lots of um, calls, surprisingly, from Black men initially, lots of Black men looking for help. And so that's kind of how I got involved in the mental health field anyway, in the Chicago um, community by a fluke. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's, sometimes that's how, how life's opportunities present themselves. Sorry. I want to take it back to the very beginning. So you're fresh out of school and you're looking for opportunities. And now the long-term care facility and, or the long-term care opportunity, the field in general presents itself. What were some of your expectations as you were going into that environment prior to being involved in that space? Did it live up to all the experiences? Did you face certain challenges along the way that you weren't anticipating? What was that like? Sure. So in graduate school, we had the developmental classes where you learn about the lifespan and all that. I was never interested in older adults. You know, there might have been a, a week long, you know, course about it, and I might have had to do a paper, but it was nothing that I had any extensive experience in. But like I said, I needed a job. So when they called, I said yes. The expectations, I didn't know what to expect. Um, I had been in nursing homes before. I've, I've had family in nursing homes. I had never been in an assisted living facility, independent living. I had never been in those types of environments before. So I literally didn't know what to expect. I went in and I, to me, it looked like a hospital. That's what mm -hmm. it looked like to me. But the experience was nothing like that. It was such an incredible 
oh my gosh, like an incredible experience to work with the older adults, to hear their stories, um, to learn about what happens when you get old, you know, what happens to you cognitively, emotionally, and how socially and relationally, and how different it is from, you know, mental health illnesses in the younger population. I, I was just fascinated and I was captivated and I've been doing it ever since. So what were some of those things that you experienced early on? I know that, you know, because I also got started in the hospice space. And so recognizing the toll emotionally and both mentally that those individual family members and caregivers go through is eye-opening to say the least. Mm -hmm. So what were some of the differences that you saw from an emotional perspective in the individual patients that you were treating? Was it loneliness? Was it depression? Were there certain characteristics that were going along with kind of the end of life transition, if that makes sense? Totally, yes, all of that. Lots of loneliness. And even the way that depression and anxiety manifested itself in older adults was different. For older adults, their depression manifests more along the lines of irritability, isolation, um, just, I don't wanna be around you, which, family and even staff wouldn't consider to be depression. So a lot of times family and staff did not recognize that there was a mental health issue going on. And so educating the staff and the family was is also was and is also incredibly important in my work so that they can understand what their loved one is going through so that they can respond to them appropriately. Because what happens is the older adult is depressed. Um, they don't they don't want to see their loved ones when the mom doesn't want to see you um, or she might not even remember certain people in the family and the, you know these these stressors are very unique and again family they don't understand so helping them to see understand and be educated about what it what happens in an older adult is incredibly important yeah because naturally i think about just uh an unfair justification of when somebody who is an older individual seems to be a little grouchy, I'll use that word, maybe they don't want to spend time with you. But I never took the perspective of realizing that maybe there are some forces that are happening from within, I can't remember things as well. And so even being around family members and not being able to participate as my old self can be kind of jarring. And so it's easier sometimes to push people away in times when we're hurting. And that's kind of what I heard you say there. Absolutely. And in addition to that, there's like a level of, I don't want to say embarrassment, but shame, I would say, mm -hmm. because, you know, they, they were used to living a life. They, they might've lived a particular life for 50, 60 years, you know, or they were married and they lived in this one house and all of their things were there. And, you know, maybe their spouse died and they could no longer care for themselves. So now they find themselves in a long-term care situation. And it's embarrassing, you know, it's embarrassing. It's hard to adjust. The adjustment aspect of it is a huge piece also. And all of that contributes to the mental health piece, the depression and the anxiety and the irritability. And again, families, they don't always understand and even communicating, you know, mom might not feel like talking when you come because you remind her of the life that she used to have. And now her whole life consists of being in these four walls you know, 500 square feet, if that, sharing it with a, another person. And this just is not what she envisioned her life to be like when she got older. 
and that could be difficult for them and they might not know how to communicate that you know they might feel embarrassed about it or they might not have the words to communicate it yeah i mean because there's a a natural i guess reliance on a sense of like family homeostasis if you will and so when family members start to find themselves in different roles i can understand that that's incredibly jarring right like i took care of you guys for so long now i'm in a new environment and these people are taking care of me and I don't want to feel like you are the person who's taking care of me. So that transition has to be incredibly challenging for that older demographic. And that's something I think we don't talk enough about. That's very true. That's, you know, there's so many aspects of it, <laughs> but that is definitely a, another big one. Um, they, they don't want to feel like a burden. I've, mm -hmm. I've heard that so many times. I feel like I'm a burden on my daughter. You know, I feel like she's having to take care of me and she has her whole family to take care of, you know, just that guilt is real. And, um, and then there's also the guilt of the, the, the caregiver, you know, or the, the family member who has to put their loved one in a long-term care facility, you know, they feel like I should be able to take care of mom at home. You know, I should be able to do this and that. But the reality is sometimes that's just not feasible. You just can't, you know. So there's guilt on both ends and it causes significant communication breakdown within the families and lots of conflict. Mm -hmm. I know that's something that was interesting to me is your focus on the caregiver. Something I recognized very early in my time spending um, engaging with hospice organizations was although the patient is identified as the individual receiving services, there's always the family member who's taking care of that individual as well. And 99% of the time, these people don't come from a medical background. And so they don't understand the intricacies of the care plan being delivered and their role in that. Why did you guys focus so much on the caregiver themselves being um, a recipient of those services to help them transition through those things? Why was that important? Exactly what you just said, because they don't, they don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, they nine times out of 10, they've never had to um, be in a system like this and they don't understand and it can be very confusing um let me let me rewind a little bit when i was in graduate school i had to do um was it graduate school let me let me think about this no no no. i had i had already graduated i was in my position my mm -hmm. first position and during the time that i was working in long-term care my grandmother got sick my dad's mom she lived in Mississippi. Um, she was diagnosed with dementia. She had no other real health problems other than arthritis. Mm -hmm. And so, but she was sick. She, um, she was losing her memory. She was incredibly irritable. Now she was a spicy person to begin with, <laughs> but she became way more spicy, um, just way more irritable, angry. She would snap on people. She would be physically abusive. And my family didn't understand, you know, why is she behaving this way? And um, they didn't want to put her in a long-term care situation. Luckily, her, her family, she had I don't know, it was like 10 of them all together. I have so many uncles and aunts. Yeah. And so they all basically took turns going down to Mississippi to take care of her. What got to the point, because most of them are up here in Chicago, that they had to bring her up here. So she ultimately stayed with my dad and my aunt. They live in a building. And they got to see firsthand the, just the devastating effects that dementia can have on a person, the personality change, you know, the, 
the the fact that she doesn't remember them you know um just it was it was devastating that was one of the reasons that i decided to stay in this area you know it was my first job yes but that wasn't my plan for the future yeah but when that happened i thought wow there are a lot of families who need to understand what grandma is going through first of all or what for them mom what mom is going through so that they can interact with her appropriately you know we know dementia is a progressive disease it's, it's not gonna get better alzheimer's or any type, whatever type of dementia that you have, it's progressive, there's no cure. So you have to sort of face the reality that this person is gonna get worse. And that's a hard pill for people to swallow. So I took it upon myself to learn as much as I could about dementia, about Alzheimer's, about how to um, help families cope, what resources were available to them so that I could provide those to my family. And I believe that that is, was a major factor in why I decided to create my own company, um, doing this in a way that I felt was better, you know, not just having the patient as the patient, but really it's a systemic situation. It's, you have to take a systemic approach. So you're treating the patient, you're treating the family, you're also treating the staff, because a lot of times the staff, you know, they have, 10 patients per nurse or you know so they don't have the opportunity or the luxury to spend one-on-one -on -one time with this patient nor their family and it can become very overwhelming for them so i wanted my practice to be you know uh, uh the type where we can be advocates for the patient you know we can spend that one-on-one -on -one time and luckily medicare allows us to see our patients once to twice a week for up to an hour. So that's two times a week that we get to spend up to an hour, two hours a week with this patient, gathering information, noticing if there are any differences, um, there's anything that we need to bring to their attention. You know, she seems a little feverish today or something might be off with her. Maybe you need to get the psychiatrist in here, you know, things like that. To be just like a second, third pair of eyes but a very close and close contact pair of eyes. And then we also provide information that we gain to the family again, so that they will know because the nurses and the doctors and the staff, yes, they'll give you information, but not this type, you know, not this close, you know, not this um, detailed information. And for me, that was important because I know what it's like to have a loved one, you know, who's sick, it's to not know anything about why they're sick or why they're, you know, why this is happening or so if somebody, well, I was that person for my family, but if there's somebody who can explain, I think that it just, I don't know, gives you kind of a level of, okay, all right, this makes sense, you know, kind of lessens your anxiety a bit. It absolutely does. Having somebody who can communicate what's happening is super important. You know, one of the biggest complaints that patients have in the healthcare sector is the communication aspect. Although this doctor has high level knowledge and intricate knowledge of your body, your mind, and how everything is working, their ability to communicate that to you sometimes can leave a sense of anxiety. I can't tell you how many times I've left the doctor's appointment 
and they hand me a packet of information and I'm like, what just happened in there? You know what I mean? Other than like, they said, here, go pick up this medicine, take it twice a week, right. blah, 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 blah. Like those type of things are really like, they can have a jarring impact. And when you talk about that systemic approach to supporting an elderly loved one, they have family members who surround and support them as well. And so you play a key role in being that bridge of comfort really between the academic clinical side and the heartfelt family side, because that's all right, they really the human, know. The, the human. human side. Yeah, the human side of it. Absolutely. Totally. And because the majority of the people who work in my practice are social workers. Mm -hmm. And I love that because they they understand, you know, how to interact with people socially. The whole social aspect is everything. So how to communicate with somebody, you know, how to listen and understand what their experience is and then how to um basically let them know that they are heard i hear what you're saying and then to be able to communicate this very high level technical jargon in a way that they can understand mm -hmm. critical critical and we've gotten so much wonderful feedback from people about how grateful they are for a practice like ours and we're very few and far between there's not there's at least in illinois or chicago area there's there's very few of us so. I mean, I think that that serves as a perfect transition because, you know, when we were talking, you said originally when you guys started to stand up your business, you guys were able to promote something that you were providing, which is supporting caregivers. And you guys had a majority of black men reach out to you guys for looking for support. Why did that happen? What was up with that? So this was at the beginning. Well, not the beginning of COVID, I would say maybe towards the end of 2020 mm -hmm. it took a minute to get the program up and running a, a lot of the referral reasons were stress um, work related stress financial stress relationship stress um, anger anxiety those sorts of issues with these african-american men and i'm and i was so surprised because you know in our community it's First of all, not very many of us wants to go talk to any professional about our problems because yep. that's just not what you do. Mm -hmm. But for a for a black man to seek out and, and mind you, it wasn't like my face was on the cover, you know, of my website or anything like that. It wasn't like they saw a black person and was like, oh, she's black. So this should be cool. No, they yeah. just they found they were just searching like frantically for someone. And we just so happened to have openings. So I think just the 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 pressure of um COVID, the ice the social isolation the the losing of the jobs the you know the children being at home um just all of that the all of that kind of culminated and made them feel like i don't know what else to do i, I just don't know what else to do and in fact some of them didn't have insurance or they were leaving their job so they weren't going to have insurance and i just i just believe that we should still help them you know we we can't turn because we can't turn them away mm. so if we couldn't help them you know if, if then i found a resource for people in chicago where you can go and get free mental health so i i wanted to do whatever i could because it's not it's not typical for a black man to come and seek out services that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And that's something, you know, when we were talking privately before the show started, I said, you know, me being a biracial man, dad is black, mom is white, saw 
mental and behavioral health issues and substance abuse occurring in my family as I was growing up. I remember being in Washington State in Seattle, Tacoma, and seeing family members act kind of interesting from a little kid's perspective. And they were just like, oh, you know, that's just how they act or that's how they do what they do. And so, you know, hearing that, you know, you've got primarily Black men who are reaching out to you and looking for help really does talk about or identify, exemplify the stress that so many of us were under during that time. And I think it's also important to recognize that we are not out of these times yet. People are still very much dealing with it. You said financial stress, and naturally my mind went to the place of, well, everybody was getting, you know, these checks from the government. And everybody was like, you guys are getting stimulus checks, you guys are fine, but that stuff didn't help. You know what I mean? When you have so much uncertainty about your job being cut and having to feed your family, there's a lot of permeating emotions that occur still. Absolutely. In fact, you know, yes, we got the checks, but that's not going to last very long. And for, you know, Black men, for some Black men, being the breadwinner of the family and providing for the family is really like a part of their identity. So when they're not able to do that, it really messes with their psyche. You know, it, it, it really breaks them down. So yeah, that little money was okay, but wasn't enough. And it was temporary, you know, they needed a more permanent solution mm-hmm. and they had no, they, they had no coping skills. They didn't, you know, know how to cope with this level of stress. Not that they had not experienced stress before, but this type of stress was unique and different and they didn't know how to cope with it. So, yeah. And, and even more interesting, I didn't have, so in my practice, this is something else I suppose we'll talk about, but in my practice, I only have two African-American therapists mm-hmm. because there is such a shortage of African-American therapists in Chicago, actually in, in America, but especially in Illinois. And so the patients, the, the males, when they came, I would have to you know, assign them to who I had. And they were still even willing to do that. Like, I'll take it, you know, and it worked out, you know, it was, it was great. We got great reviews. Um, And I I think that also speaks to like, I don't want to say how desperate, but how important it was. Like they were willing to put that whole stigma to the side. Like, okay, I'm coming to therapy. Fine. They're not black. Fine. We not be, we might not be of the same sex. Fine. You know, fine. Whatever, whatever it takes. I need that help. And I thought that was great. <laughs> that is great. I it was great. A willingness to accept help is a real superpower of a strength. You know, I can't tell you how many men I've seen in our current society that would rather stick through it and be tough rather than asking for help. But when you actually have the ability to ask for help in situations when you need it, you're opening yourself up for opportunity to grow. You know, Absolutely. it's very easy to persevere. And so you made the comment, you know, we have a national shortage of African-American providers. I was very interested when you said you got out of school and you were looking for job opportunities, but they just weren't coming. Because when I got into the space in 2014, I recognized the national shortage of providers we had. So what was kind of like that job search, if I can rewind a little bit about what kind of organizations were you reaching out to? So my last training experience was with the Community Mental Health Organization in Joliet. And they were, you know, a they were off Washington Street in Joliet. You don't know what that is, but people in Illinois will know. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, people from the area would 
come in and would need help and they would get the help. So people from basically off the street in the area, in the neighborhood, um, sometimes we would get people who were mandated for therapy, anger management from the courts or that sort of thing. Um, but I really enjoyed that because I got to see a lot of different issues. I got to get experience with a lot of different types of issues, different populations, you know, males, females, black, white, Indian, Hispanic, like all these different types of issues. And so I felt like that's kind of what I want to do because I didn't know what I wanted to do at that time. I just knew I wanted to help people. And so I decided, okay, once I'm done with this training, it was a postdoc training. So once it was over, it was over. I had to go get a real job. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. So I applied to so many community mental health um, organizations in Chicago. I lived in Blue Island at the time. So in that surrounding area, the suburbs, and I mean, literally not one callback. Now this was 2009, 2010. Yeah. Not one. In fact, I went about a whole month without hearing anything. And when I got the call for the long-term care company, I didn't even apply there. I didn't apply there. I don't know how they got my information, honestly. Wow. To this day, I don't know how they got my information. Maybe on like some job board that I put my information on maybe. But yeah, so it was shocking that they called me. I didn't even know what they were talking about. Like, what, what do you want me to do? This is not what I want to do. But you know what? I got to do something. So yep. I kind of fell into that. Yeah. I mean, that's very interesting because, you know, even today we see the shortage of providers exacerbated. And Absolutely. you made a statement that I think rings incredibly home for me, which is we are far and few between, especially in our community. And so let's talk about your business a little bit. So I know that you guys have leveraged technology as a tool to increase the reach of your guys' practice. What does that look like in your day-to-day? -day? How are you interacting with those people in the community? How are you kind of servicing them as well? How has that experience been? It has been incredibly challenging and it's been challenging, but it's been motivating because the challenges just motivate me because I know that the need is there and I just feel like I need to set up the, set up the technology in a way that will make it easier and more convenient for people to engage in the service because the service is amazing. How do I, how do I put it out there? So people know that it's there, um, understand, you know, our values, you know, that we truly are here to help, um, and how to remove the stigma so that they don't feel like they're coming, you know, to see somebody because they're crazy. It's, it's been such a, it's just so many issues, but we're, we're forging through that. Mm -hmm. um, we are actually in the process of rebranding or relaunching the telehealth program that we have. Um, it's called Mind Chats Online. Now that's what it's called. And I am revamping the entire system. We are creating an app. Actually, it's almost done. I'm so excited about, about it, um, which will allow people, even if, if you're a patient or not, it will allow people to engage in activities and um, just learning opportunities to gain more understanding and education about mental health, mental health issues, what it really is, debunking the myths, 
Um, if you're feeling this, this, and this, it's probably this, and that's okay. You know, here's some things that you can do as a result of that. So the app is going to be sort of a two, two pronged approach. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, it will allow patients and potential patients to find a therapist and actually see their therapist within the app, which makes it very convenient. On the other hand, even if you're not getting therapy, you're able to learn some things, you know, you're able to um, sort of ultimately I want to make a community like I want it to be a community. I want people to be able to come on and talk about something that they're experiencing and hear from another person that, hey, I'm experiencing that, too. You know, I had this going on and that and, you know, just to create this community around this collective suffering that we all experience mental health is not you know i think the i think the myth is that only certain people have mental health you know like only crazy people those people over there they got those problems but the yeah. truth yeah. is we all have mental health there's not one person walking on this planet that does not have mental health and at some point in your life it's just the facts it's data you're gonna have issues with it so if you can look at it that way, it's not so uncommon. It's not so strange. It's not so weird and mystical. And that there is help out there. You don't have to live with the suffering. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to hide your suffering. There's a whole community of people that will accept you, will accept what you're going through because they've gone through it too, or they know somebody that's gone through it. So that's, that's really what I want to do with the practice and especially with the app. And it's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a it's a theory and a it, it just continues to evolve as I'm moving forward. So um, when it's all done, <laughs> I can't wait for people to, you know, jump in and give their feedback so that we can even make it better for them. Absolutely. I mean, it's so powerful because when you are as a business owner in control of your destiny, you know, you're consistently molding and adapting new data that comes in to create a better solution for people. I heard you say a couple of things there. You said, that's okay, which is something that I've been saying to myself as a mantra as of recently, because mm -hmm. the human experience in itself comes with its ups and downs. And a huge component of our daily lives is our mental health. And so when you have emotions that come into your life, like you're tired or you're anxious, or you're just like not in the mood, I've been saying, and that's okay to myself mm -hmm. to kind of justify, you know, everything that we all experience. And so I, one thing that's been super positive about the pandemic that I've really enjoyed is the conversation around mental health and the recognition of how important it is to all of us, because Absolutely. you think that you're alone in this process. And so when you talk about creating community, it's more so allowing people into the human experience that everybody else is going through as well. And that's right. super important. Exactly. We're all going through it anyway. So if we can normalize the experience, if we can say, doesn't make you crazy, you know, that you're, even if you're feeling hopeless and helpless, that's a, that, that has been a collective experience of so many people in these past couple years. Doesn't mean that you're crazy. It means mm -hmm. that you're human, you know, that you feel things and, and you're sensitive and that's that can actually be a very beautiful beautiful quality but you have to first of all accept it you got to be honest with yourself you have to stop avoiding you know the things that are uncomfortable that's a huge thing you got to stop avoiding the things that are uncomfortable you have to 
face the reality that, okay, here is what's going on with me. And you got to be honest with somebody, you know, maybe you don't want to be honest with your best friend because she might not understand, but you need to find somebody that is a mature person that you can talk to about these things and, and find additional resources, find a way to talk about it, get it outside of your mind and get it out there so that you can sort of release that first of all so that you can get so that you can be be validated you know, in your experience you know again we all have these issues so that then you can start working on it you know how can i how can i change my life for the how can i change my mindset what can i do to mitigate this experience that i'm having so it doesn't ruin my life because it's ruining my life right now being able to get those feelings out is incredibly important to me um, you know, my dad has always said to me, when you get it out, it's a lot less scary. And I've tried to over the last year, there's a influential person who I follow on social media, a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk, and he released this book called 12 and a half. And it talks about the 12 and a half soft skills in business, empathy, compassion, one thing you mentioned as well, candor, and being able to leverage these tools appropriately to communicate in a healthy way. Because often the people in our lives who are closest to us, our friends and family, they play a key role in helping us develop as an overall person. And sometimes being able to have somebody who is candorous with you to tell you, you could be doing these things better. And I'm saying these things in a friendly way. It's right. super important. You don't want a whole bunch of yes men in your life because if you're not getting pushed forward by the people who are closest to you, it sure isn't going to be the people on social media who are going to call you to be your higher version of yourself. That's super important. <laughs> Absolutely. That's so true. It is so true. And, and honesty, of course, having people around you who are honest people and also loving in their honesty, that's very important. But being honest with yourself, you know, that's Man, that's everything. I remember because I've, I've also suffered with anxiety and depression my whole life. That was another reason why I went into the field because I wanted to, I wanted to get a better understanding of what is this thing? You know, what, what is it? How can I help other people who have it? That whole thing. But what I learned is that you have to be honest with somebody. You know, we, we're, we're afraid to talk about these things that we don't understand. And we might even, you know, step outside of ourselves and try to talk to somebody about about it, but then we talk to the wrong person, and you know, they're looking at us like, "What? That mm -hmm. you? That's what you were thinking?" So then it's like, "Oh man!" So you kind of close back up, you know. But you you have to find the right person to be honest to, and and to just tell everything, um, literally everything. <laughs> Whatever is on your mind, whatever experiences, whatever trauma you've experienced, whatever whatever makes you feel embarrassed, whatever makes you feel ashamed, all of that needs to come out on the table in a nurturing, compassionate environment so that you can look at it and be like, okay, that's what it is. Because a lot of times we bottle it up, we avoid it, we pretend that it's not there, and in the meantime, it is just corroding us on the inside. It's, it's, it's corroding us. It's having effects on us that we don't even recognize physically, emotionally, socially, in our interactions with people, relationally. We don't even know. And then we get to the point to where it's almost like our heart is hardened. And you know, there's a point of no return where your personality is now shaped 
by all of that stuff that you chose not to deal with. And now it's going to be even harder for you to reverse all of that. So as soon as possible, find somebody that you can talk to about what is what is aching you in your heart. You know, you you that is so important. And that is that is definitely a message that I that I give out to my family and my friends. It's easier to do now because I'm a professional in the field, you know, because yeah. so they got to listen to me like I'm not just talking. Yeah. <laughs> like I went to school for this. This is what I do. And they, you know, they'll listen. But, you know, for the average person to try to share this, it's just difficult. And I hope that changes. I hope the stigma around being honest and I don't know, the fact that we feel, you know, we feel and we sometimes we think crazy things. And I hope that that is lifted, you know, so that our culture can become so that we can heal just as a people and move, move past you know, this trauma and live more fulfilling lives. This, this entire experience over the last couple of years has really been traumatic for so many people. And recognizing that we do need the space to be able to heal is incredibly important. I heard a couple of things as you were just talking and I wanna bring them up. The first is our true self-image. I'm reading a book right now called Psycho Cybernetics, and it talks about the impact of positive self-talk and recognition of our true selves of what we really can be. And a great example in there, and I put a piece of content out on LinkedIn today as we're recording on the same day. Um, there was a student who was told by his classmates and himself that he was never good at math until one day he had a dream about a, um, a arithmetic problem that the class was struggling on. He came in with a vision for how he could solve this problem. And he went up to the board and besides his individual classmates mocking him and the teacher kind of mocking him as well because he gets bad grades, he was able to finish the problem. And from that day, he realized that he had the power, his yeah. true self, to be able to solve things and be good at math. That point moving forward, he got like 90s on all of his rest of his math assignments throughout high school and became somebody very prominent in the um, economy space, which I thought was amazing. I love it. I love that story. I love that. But that comes back to why do you think people today are so focused on this version of ourselves that we know is not true to us? And so many of us focus on the negative things that not only the people outside of us say to us, but also what we focus on internally. What do you think that comes from? so many different things, but it all boils down to your mindset. When you're young, you have experiences in life that shape your understanding of yourself in the world. Um, and if those experiences are negative, if they're bad, um, you might develop a negative mindset. But at the same time, you know, you could also come from a great family who, you know, they're very supportive and, you know, you don't, there's no trauma. You haven't experienced any trauma, but you still have this negative mindset. So it could be um, environmental. So the place that you grew up in and the experiences that you had, it could also be hereditary. Mm. It could be that, you know, your mother and your mother's mother and your mother's mother's mother, you know, they had this sort of um, depression or whatever the mental illness is that caused them to think a certain way and behave in a certain way as the result of that mindset. And you pick that up, you know, as being next in line. 
Um, I've been reading a lot about, um, I don't think it's called generational trauma. It's, it's some term. I'll get back to you about what the name of it is. Mm -hmm. But there is a term that basically it says that the trauma that your ancestors experienced gets encoded into your DNA. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing that you have done or nothing that has happened to you in this life that would create it, but it's passed down to you and you develop this certain understanding about things and you act that out. Um, just so many, so many different ways that you can develop this type of negative thinking pattern. Your, your experiences with other people, your relationships, maybe you were in an abusive relationship, you know, um, any, anything, but, but the reason is not as important as the truth of the matter that you basically create your own destiny. You know, um, life and death is in the power of the tongue. It's in the Bible. Mm. Um, what you speak consistently becomes your reality. What you think consistently becomes who you are. What you expose yourself to ultimately becomes your life. So I love the fact that you, you know, you're into the positive thinking and the, and the, all of that, the mantras and all that's, I mean, that is everything. If you wake up every morning and you decide that, you know, today's going to be a good day. I don't care if it's raining and, you know, it's gray out. I don't care if my dog just peed on the floor. I don't care. Like, I don't care if I got a mountain of emails and I don't know what I'm going to do with all that. It doesn't matter. Today's going to be a great day. This is what I'm going to do today. This is what's going to happen today. You set your intention and you consistently do that over and over and over again. You will change your way of thinking. You can literally change the way you think about things. And it doesn't matter what happens to you. It doesn't matter who comes to you and says that you ain't about nothing. You ain't going to be nothing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you got a D on your test. It doesn't matter. You just will pick yourself up and you will keep moving forward, but your mindset has to change. It's not that you, I mean, you can literally do anything that you put your mind to. You really can. And I know it's cliche, it sounds cliche, but it's the absolute truth. But the key is you gotta put your mind to it. You know, you gotta change your mind. At the end of the day, you have to choose to change your mind. If you change your mind, you change your life. It's simple, it's a simple little, <laughs> clicky sort of, you know, saying, but it's just the absolute truth. Anything that you do consistently becomes who you are. It's absolutely true. It really is. And I follow, you know, I'm tell, I'll am tell you a, a personal experience that I had. So back in 2017, when I was starting my business, and I'm kind of in the early years of really trying to figure out what I was going to do, I was struggling because I wasn't skilled. And so there was a moment when the beginning of 2017 started, I said to myself, Keenan, you cannot control a lot of what's happening out here, but the one thing you can control is your mindset. And so every day I'm going to wake up for 365 days and do a positive message. And to hold myself accountable, I'm going to post this on social media. So every single day on my Instagram story, I said something positive, like, hey guys, today's going to be a great day. Remember that today is a completely brand new slate. And through that entire year, something amazing happened. I literally was able to somewhat reprogram my brain because of the wow. consistent action that I took every single day. And since then, I really have not had a ton of negative self-talk or negative experiences that come from within. 
And, you know, sometimes that creates friction in my personal relationships because like the people say, Keenan, you can't be positive about everything, <laughs> but it's like coming from a deeper place, which is so weird to me because it's like, I refuse to even let that kind of stuff start to bubble Absolutely. because if Absolutely. I'm corrosive from the inside, then I'm in real trouble. And so those type of experiences are so profound to me because when you hear people in business and that's kind of like the sport I play these days. The people who are super successful don't talk about the tactics that they deploy, but they talk about the mindset. And like you said, it sounds so clicky or like foo-foo, but I've always said the world that is around us is our life is a perception process. If you think about these little meatballs you have in your, in your skull, they're taking in light and flipping that and perception occurs to what's happening around you. Absolutely. And so if you have the ability to kind of input that perception, then your entire life can change. And oh it's God. so powerful. It is incredibly powerful. Um, I listened to, what is his name? Oh gosh, I am blanking on his name. It's probably good that I, I don't know his name right now. Mm -hmm. But anyway, he has been very instrumental in this past year. Um, I am uh, an African-American woman with a business um, in a field where there's, there's not a lot of us in, in mm -hmm. the area that I work in. There's just not a lot of us. I don't see a lot of us when I go out to my networking events. Yep. And it initially, at first, it was so intimidating. You know, I, I felt not deserving. You know, I felt like nobody's going to listen to me. I mean, I had so many moments where I was like, I don't think I should be doing this, you know, but at the same time, I also have, I'm very driven to you know, make something of something like that's just my personality, but I definitely suffered with all of those thoughts. And in the past year, I decided that instead of trying to push through that, because that wasn't working, <laughs> it wasn't working. Like I knew the truth, you know, I knew that this way of thinking is horrible. It's going to destroy me. And so I would, I guess I would try to ignore it. I would try to distract myself. I would try to do those sorts of things. Instead of doing that, I decided I'm going to start to examine. I'm going to examine. That's where this whole honesty sort of approach has come from. Yeah. I'm going to examine what is happening in my mind. I'm going to examine my thoughts. I'm going to allow them the space to be there. And then I'm going to talk about, or I'm going to input into my mind my intention, what I want to happen, who I want to be, how I want to think, how I want to be in relationships with other people, what I want my life to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna add that too, okay? I'm gonna add that in with the other stuff because I can't make that go away. That's been here for years. Mm -hmm. And what I have found is that the negative thoughts don't necessarily go away. They don't go away, but they, it's like they get quieter, you know, yeah. they're not as loud. They're not as loud. They're there. And I'm grateful that they're there because it's a reminder, first of all, to never get comfortable. Don't get comfortable in any place because at any point, all of that stuff could just rear up and destroy you if you're not on guard. But I've been able to basically decide I'm going to take control of my life. You know, I'm going to take control of my destiny, what's going to happen in my future. And so I, I, I'm the same as you. Every morning I wake up every day, I'm gonna listen to some, I, ha, I have one up right now. 
um, some sort of mantra or some sort of something saying, basically, here's what the reality is. Here's what your reality can't be. What do you want your reality to be? That sort of thinking so that I can stay in that. So that is what's floating around in my mind. And I can live the life of my dreams because that's, that's what I want to do. Yeah. It's not even, it's not even for me. I want to live the life of my dreams because I have a true desire to help people, you know, to in any kind of way, but especially help them to be honest with themselves, understand that everybody, you know, everybody experiences some sort of a depression or anxiety. It does not have to stop you from living your best life and to help them move past that and live their best life. Like that's, I feel like that is my purpose, my destiny. I won't be able to rest in my grave unless I made some sort of dent in that area. And yeah, and that, that just keeps me going. Being able to call yourself to a higher calling is incredibly powerful. And when you fully believe and you take the conscious steps every single day to kind of manifest that, it really does show results at the end of the day. So when you control your environment, you have the ability to influence the world around you. And that is so powerful to recognize. Um, and it's awesome that we get to be on a platform like this and have a conversation about mental health, because I know other people who are listening to this can see themselves in your story and in my story, because we're all going through it. Like we said, um, I do have a, a question about you being a mental health professional and the impact on your family. Have you ever come across any type of conflict from your profession being a black woman who prioritizes mental health and also having the education and understanding of what we can do to improve that in your own family dynamic? Have you ever had people kind of, you know, I don't want to say scoff, but discredit, you know, the work that you do? Because, you know, in the black community, we never really have the conversations. And when we have somebody who is so well poised and communicates as well as you do, that can either be incredibly positive, but we could also find some resistance from that. And I just wonder if you've experienced that. Earlier on, I did. Um, earlier on in my career, first of all, my family didn't understand. I'm going to school to be a doctor, but not a medical doctor. I'm not going to be a surgeon. I'm not going to be a pediatrician. I'm going to be a licensed clinical psychologist. A what now? What, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? And I couldn't fully explain it earlier on because I didn't have the language. And um, But as I move forward in, in the training and I started to learn things, I started to actually talk about those things with my family. For the most part, they, you know, they would nod and be like, okay. But I did get some people who were, who would say something like, well, don't be using that therapy on me. Don't be trying mm -hmm. to therapy me. You know, you know, why you read my mind? Don't be trying to read my mind. And, you know, you know, that sort of thing, which initially was insulting because I'm not psychic. Like I'm not yeah. a psychic. <laughs> I mean, this is, that's not what it is. It was just, you know, a lack of understanding and a, and a lack of education on their part. Um, so yeah, I did, I, I did get that. I got that from some friends. I even got that from some, some people that I was dating, you know, like it was, they, they felt intimidated. They really felt like I was into their minds and, you know, it, it was just, it's weird. Um, but now that I've been doing this for it's 
2009, what are we, 2022? I can't do math. I'm not that math guy. Mm -hmm. yeah. Many, many years I've been doing this and it has become like a part of who I am. It's, it's literally my identity. So when, when they see me, they know, in fact, they will seek me out. Like, hey, you know, my son, you know, this person, that person, what do I do? And I'm so grateful that I stuck with it because now I have more resources. I have better language. I'm able to communicate better, you know, to help them understand what they're going through and to guide them into the, you know, the right direction. But to answer your question, yes, a little bit, a little bit, but it was worth it. It's okay. Yeah. I can help now. They understand now. And that's a common experience. I think many young professionals experience at a point in time. You mentioned something that resonated with me incredibly deeply, which was, you know, I'm trying to design the world that I want to live in, my dream life. And that is a different experience for so many people. I mentioned something in the early in the podcast, which was um, family homeostasis, you know, and as I've started to come into my own absorb more information and experiences I've recognized what I want to be. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I do not want to be like so many others that are in my life. And so I find myself often going down the beaten path that is so different from understanding in so many other people in my life. They're like, why do you do that? Why do you wake up at 5am? Like, you don't need to do that kind of stuff. Like when you taking steps to be different from somebody else, there's often going to be the people who are asking you, like, what are you doing? You know? And so I just want to kind of commend you for taking those steps because you're making progress for not only yourself, but for the generations behind you. And it takes Absolutely. violent action to have impactful change long-term. And, you know, you already have the, the building blocks and the foundation of your mindset, which are so important to the entire process. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I agree. You know, I, now that I'm a little older, my birthday's Sunday, I'll be 46 years old. Congratulations. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. And as I'm approaching this 50, um, I'm really thinking about my legacy and what I want to leave behind because I understand that one day, you know, there's going to be no more Dr. Kim. Mm -hmm. And what, what do I want my life to have stood for? You know, what do I want people to say at my funeral? Like, Oh, she made all this money and she was rich and she drove these great cars and she dressed fly like no 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 i want to i want people to say you know as a result of interacting with her i was able to change my life you know i was the whole trajectory of my life just i was on my way there and as a result of talking to her having a conversation or being in a relationship with her i things were different and my life is so much brighter. My future is so much brighter now. And I'm able to pass that down to my kids. And then my kids will pass that down to their kids. Like, I, I don't know, we, we, you only get one life, you know, and I want, I want my one life to help other people. That's, I don't even know why. It's a higher calling. And that's an amazing place for us to end today with a happy birthday for you and a congratulations for all of the work that you put in every single day to improve not only your personal life, your family life, but also the community that you serve because you're doing amazing work out there. And I know people who are listening to the show today are once again, going to see themselves in the things that we talked about and being able to share this stage with you and have this conversation was an absolute joy today. So I appreciate you so much, Dr. Kim, seriously. Thank you so much, Keenan, for having me. It's been a blast. Awesome. Thank you.
Absolutely. Well, guys, that's been another episode of the It's Telehealth podcast. Once again, thank you so much, Dr. Kim, for joining us. It's been another one. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.